As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Copa with Felipe Cardenas. I'm your host. Today, I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Sam Stachkel. He is the co-host of Allocation Disorder. You know him well. And a very respected U.S. men's national team reporter for The Athletic. Welcome, Sam. What's going on? Buenos dias. Buenos dias, Felipe. I have my cafe. You have yours. We're ready to go. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes, we're recording on Wednesday morning. So when we discussed this, we both agreed it's perfect time to have some coffee and talk soccer. Today, we're going to discuss uh, the U.S. Men's National Team January camp. We'll get into the to the roster. Not too deep. I know you covered that on alloc- Allocation Disorder last week, uh, but we are recording today, Wednesday. Tonight is a big game for the U.S. Men's National Team against Serbia. Big game meaning just because, hey, it's the first game after the World Cup. A lot <laughs> of opportunities. Game's a, every game is a big game. <laughs> every game is a big game, but... Here's why I, I wanted to, to bring you on, Sam, because yes, you know, January camp, it's not that exciting, but I feel like every game moving forward until the Greg Berhalter and Gio Reyna drama fiasco scandal is resolved, it's going to be, it's going to aver- overshadow anything that happens on the field. So that's why I wanted to bring you on before we get into the actual roster uh, of the U.S. Men's National Team, and and just talk briefly about Serbia. I'm going to introduce Colombia. I know them well. Uh, I, I do want to bring up the a column that you wrote recently about the the saga, and the titles in the U.S. Men's National Team's Berhalter Reina saga. Everyone involved faces uncertain future. Uh, I liked it a lot. It got over 300 comments. So clearly, this is not an issue that is going away. I was thinking, like, if we were in a proper football country. I mean, this would be leading the news uh, on and on every sports talk show, every sports center. Uh, but, you know, it's not. We're in a different ecosystem. Uh, but you have a lot of expertise in this. So, like, what do you what did you take away when writing this column? Like, why did how did you approach it? And why did you write it? Well, I think it was why I wrote it. I, I just thought it was important to kind of lay it all out there, like on one coherent timeline uh, to sort of show in one place, how poorly everybody here behaved. And and I think that that sort of helps put it in perspective a little bit. And, and that was my main motivation for writing it. And then I also wanted to spin forward a little bit and, and see what might be next for some of the parties involved. 
But, you know, I've talked about this before, Felipe, with you, with others in this piece on allocation disorder. So I'll keep it brief here, but it's just everybody did a bad job, basically. Everybody except Rosalind Burhalter, who is the only one that didn't do anything wrong. And she's the one that's having to suffer um, maybe the maybe the most. I, I, I don't know. I mean, that's not a competition, but she's the one that's suffering without having done anything wrong in the first place. Gio Reyna didn't try at the World Cup. How do you not try at the World Cup? Oh, that's it's ridiculous. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Greg Berhalter, obviously, you know, kicking his girlfriend, who is now his wife, that's a really bad thing that he did when he was 18 years old, 30 years ago. Uh, And then going after the World Cup to whatever leadership conference he went to in New York, and those comments were supposed to be off the record, and he never actually named Gio Reyna. Um, But saying what he said, like, why? Why why are you doing that? What is the motivation? Like, you, you have to be smarter than that. And he wasn't. And then those get out. And then Claudio Reyna and Danielle Reyna calling Ernie Stewart and, and dropping this bomb. It's just kind of like, like, you know, what, what are you doing? Like, like that's so petty and vindictive and spiteful and out of proportion with what Greg Berhalter did. You were literally just looking, you know, in my opinion, it seems like they were, they were literally just looking to get revenge because yeah. their son didn't play as much as they wanted him to at the World Cup. And, and by the way, Felipe, when he did play, he was not good. I think that bears mentioning as well. Um, and well, whatever he wasn't doing on the on the training pitch, he took onto the field during the games. He didn't look, he didn't look like look he was fit. engaged at all, yeah. And, and just yeah, he didn't make a difference. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, not to interrupt, but I, I, you know, Greg very well, and, and having covered him for the last few years, and, and through some really difficult like sporting moments for the national team during qualifying when we all thought they're going to lose this game. He's out. Uh, are they, are they overconfident? Are they overhyped? Is he, is he experienced enough? You've been in countless press conferences with him. Was it really that surprising that in, in this sort of educational symposium that he's talking to that he went off the cuff and he went too far? Did that no. surprise you at all? No, <laughs> no, I mean, maybe, right? maybe a little bit. I shouldn't say not at all, but like, no, it didn't surprise me because, you know, if you listen to like his podcast that he did on us soccer, or if you just listen to his press conferences and availabilities, he's traditionally been very open. Yeah. And over time, I would say he became less open with the regular press corps and and maybe he felt like he got burned a time or two. um, Or maybe the stakes just got higher as they got closer to the world cup and he wanted to keep things closer to the to the vest. Uh, but for whatever reason, he felt comfortable in this setting. You know, he's a guy that, that likes the leadership books. Um, he, he pays attention to those things and maybe he felt the need to impress these people. I don't know what his motivations were. I just like, I, I just don't know what he would have gained apart from like telling a cool story to these people who, I don't know, maybe paid a lot of money to come hear him speak. Like, yeah. it's just I mean, like, the why audience- do you need to sound impressive to this constituency? It doesn't, I don't get it. But yeah, it, it's it something like, that he seems to have tried to have done yeah, semi-consistently. Yeah. That was my takeaway. In front of this specific audience, it's like he it's one thing to go off script. Uh, but also clearly to him, maybe this was something that he wanted to get off his chest and it, it you know, in, in, in this moment it happened. Now, when I think of Giorena, I, I go back to uh you know, I, I know during the cycle he was considered and 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 really 
put on this pedestal as like the future of the national team as one of the most talented players in this pool. Uh, clearly, uh, you know, a, a very capable footballer. He's playing in Germany. He's playing for Borussia Dortmund. Uh, you know, the quality is there. I, I think when I think of Gio Reyna, the, the the quantity isn't, you know, he hasn't played enough in order for us to really say this guy is uh, indisputable and, and cannot be taken out of the lineup. But something that, and I know you know this, we've talked, uh, you know, offline about this. I, I remember going back to 2019 when I was still reporting on just my own reporting about Tata Martino wanting the U.S. job, you know, when I was writing that big story for Atlanta United and I was talking to just like different sources and, and Gio Reyna came up because of the way he had behaved previously for youth national teams under different coaches. That then became part of this whole fiasco, this whole saga of Claudio Reyna reaching out to, to, to Rafael Wicke at the time, the youth national team coach. Uh, he had to admit that. And now it's like all coming full circle that perhaps we have a, a, a problem child, really, a, a player that's difficult to coach. You mentioned it before on your own podcast that this could affect Gio Reyna in the future, perhaps in, in, in where he goes beyond Borussia Dortmund. But I just think it says a lot about him, his own personality and how he's been in this bubble with his own parents protected all the time. Was it knowing what you knew, was it really that surprising that Gio Reyna became a problem at the World Cup? Yeah, I was surprised, certainly to the degree. I think it's natural for any player to be disappointed when they think, enter into a competition thinking, hey, I want to play, I might play, and then you're told you're not going to, to be the starter. Like, there's natural frustration and upset that comes with that. I don't begrudge him that whatsoever. I would never, him or anyone else. Yeah. But it's about how you respond to that adversity. And Giorena didn't respond well. Like, he admitted that in, in the statement that he put out about this. Um, now, I think, to be fair, he's 20 years old. And is he the most like professional? Was this the most professional or mature that he could have acted? Of course not. But he's he's twenty years old, and like he has room to grow. Like Felipe, I know you weren't a finished product when you were twenty. I wasn't, you know. So like, I think it's important to give him that grace and that ability to to grow up a bit and learn from this. Um, it's a shame that his parents followed it up by doing what they did, and that sort of compounds everything for me. Uh, Gio Reyna, we saw him the other day score a really nice goal. I was going to bring for that Dortmund, up. and then yeah. and then you know, put his fingers in his ears as a celebration, block out the noise, the and- goatee, the celebration, <clears throat> the anger. Like, I mean, he's not shying away from the controversy. No, either. he he's not, and 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 that's fine. You know, like this is how like if that's how he wants to respond, I don't have any issue with that. I think the important thing for him is that he needs to work he needs to put his head down not take anything for granted and, and really try and capitalize on the immense talent that he does possess because he is a super talented player you see it yeah. when he's out there and if he can stay healthy and if he can kind of approach this with the right mindset of i need to go out there and outwork everybody then i think he'll go very very far in his career but it's a little bit of an inflection point too because he has a choice to make and is he going to go that road or is he going to go the road of, well, I was wronged here and, you know, um, um, the bee's knees and I'm just <laughs> going to feel like I, I've already earned it. And, you know, I think the early signs are very encouraging that he's going to go the correct route. I mean, I think it's a bit of a cautionary tale with with 
the way in U.S. soccer we're so uh, obsessed with sending our youngest players to Europe as soon as they can. As soon as we see talent, get them out there. And there's a lot of positives to that. Uh, I guess this what this is showing is that that success, that early success, because let's face it, like, you know, he hasn't lifted a Champions League trophy or anything like that. I mean, he's, he's pretty well. He's playing, at, <laughs> he's playing at like the highest level. Yeah. Like if I were 20 years old playing at the highest level with the with a last name that is very well known. If Erling Haaland was calling me the American dream. You I know? mean, I don't know how that doesn't go to your head, honestly. Like I just cannot blame anyone for not being a little bit overconfident, somewhat like athletically arrogant. Great. Like I respect all that. Uh, my, my question to you and, and what I've think been thinking in my own head, even from what Burhalter said in that symposium, if we want to call it that. Is, you know, is Gio Reyna a good teammate? I know it is. I'm trying to, it's like, it's such an academic word, right? Uh, But is he a good teammate? You know, we, you mentioned it. He's extremely talented. Well, that's what, that's, that's where I'm going. We don't know because I think someone like Tyler Adams, the captain of the U.S. team is always going to be very professional. Keep it close to the chest. But if he's not performing, not training hard, it becomes an issue. It becomes a, a, a dressing room issue where the players need to confront him. It's like a come to Jesus moment. Then the coach comes out and says what he says. To me, that's the big question for Gio Reyna moving forward. Can he be a good teammate? Yep, and hopefully he can. This isn't written in stone. His story is not over. And, and like we said, he's he's 20. He's got a lot of potential to grow and mature as an individual and as a player. And hopefully he kind of keeps the edge on the field and and maybe loses it a little bit in his in how he behaves interpersonally because I mean, Felipe, like, <laughs> was there another player at the world cup that acted like this? There was one. I know his name's Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> well, that's um, part of the brand. And like, I don't know, maybe yeah, he's but like, like but, but also Cristiano Ronaldo is one of the best players of all time. Yeah. And, and yeah. you saw what happened with Portugal when he was acting out of turn with his interview with Piers Morgan mm-hmm. and, and kind of being a little bit of a brat at the world's cup. Like, his teammates, the body language, his coach, like the benching, like they sort of were like enough of this dude. Yeah. yeah. And, and so if you're going to behave like that, you have to be one of the best players like in the world and Gio Reyna for all of his talent. I mean, he's, he's not that yet. That's no slight on him by any means, No, he's not <laughs> but, there yet. but he hasn't like, that's not where he's at. So until, and unless he gets there, then maybe he should, there should be an adjustment. And even if he does get there, there should probably be an adjustment because no one wants to be around somebody that really acts that that puts themselves above the team and the country and the your your friends and your peers at a World Cup. Yeah, and like I don't want to sound like the I don't know dad dad voice right now. Like he needs to mature, but that, that that's literally what that's the easiest feedback that we could give a player at that age. And and we saw I remember you were there, you know, during the U.S. game against Mexico. At the Azteca after the game, the press conference, <laughs> the giggling, the joking, the lack of respect, you know, shown towards the the press corps that that were there asking like, you know, serious questions. This was a World Cup qualifier. Uh, it just to me, I was a bit taken aback, like, okay, like it's fine to have that personality. And, and they were happy, you know, a draw, it was a big draw for them against yeah, Mexico. It was good uh, so I get it. But it, it did show, I think it encapsulated what this team is still is a very young team. And I, I joked about it with Pablo Maura on, on the Co- on Copa last week where it's like, well, this is what you, you, you wanted a young team. 
this is what you get where yeah, well, the parents are still involved in like the, yeah. the success, the, how, how they're viewed, how they're talked about. Look at Weston McKinney's dad for all accounts and purposes, a, a cool guy, but like he even gets into in, slides into people's DMS gets in on Twitter when people it's, talk. It's natural down. to want to protect your kid. I get it. Like yeah. I have kids. Maybe I wouldn't jump in on Twitter, but that's but you the, would probably the, want to at certain that's the points. world we live in. Yeah. 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 That's the world. I mean, the other day Nico was playing a basketball game, got, got fouled pretty hard fouled by another 10. Oh, yeah? Were you ready to throw? Were you I was ready, ready to, throw to hands? go. I was ready to go down to like, come on now. Come on. First of all, referee. <laughs> Are you going to fight a nine-year-old? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I hear like, it's something, I felt something in, in your, in your being. So I get it. I just feel like this is part of the progression and the maturation of this team. This is all part of it. It's just very unfortunate. Now, Sam, part of this saga, as 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 you called it in in, in your column and in, in the in the titles, like dominoes began to fall. Brian McBride, Brian McBride, um, very accomplished national team striker in his day, is out as the U.S. Men's National Team general manager. wasn't retained. Easy question, like what does that mean, and why did that happen? Is this part of this whole investigation? Um. Well, uh, we don't know. <laughs> uh, McBride's contract was up. So that's, you know, it wasn't like a, a firing necessarily. It's just like he, he just wasn't brought back. Um, to do what? Claudio Reyna was, Claudio Reyna was texting him during the World Cup along with Ernie Stewart, uh, expressing his frustration about the lack of role that, that Gio Reyna had. So we don't know what McBride was texting back. Maybe that will come out in the investigation. Um, what I would let me also read say, this quickly, Sam. That yeah. when, when we talk about there's there's like the other investigation, which was uh, reported heavily by their outlets as quote potentially inappropriate communication and behavior from third parties towards U.S. staff. So, yeah, that was in the U.S. soccer statement. I yeah, believe. right, um, right. So, so yeah, that that could potentially play a role here. I'm not I'm not sure. Um, the other thing I would say is that uh, his job just sort of felt redundant. Yeah, that's what I was like. What was he like, doing? I wasn't. No one was ever really quite sure what he did. Like Ernie Stewart was handling a lot of things on the men's side. Kate Markgraf is the GM on the women's side. She handles a lot of things on that end. Um, McBride was ostensibly responsible for hiring and firing the head coach, but that was always Ernie Stewart's purview. Uh, you know, he was interfacing with club teams about you know availability and, and managing workloads. But Greg Berhalter did a lot of that, and, and it's just like. It might have just been a case of this position isn't really necessary. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I don't want to speculate too much, but it could be any number of things. But like my gut feeling is that it's more along those lines than it would be under like any investigation or anything scandalous. So let me read something from your column because I think I found this interesting. You wrote the ongoing investigation should also look into what the Federation knew about the incident of the incident when Burhalter was hired in December of 2018. The incident referring to uh, what happened between him and his wife Rosalind in 1991. You write at the time Burhalter's brother Jay was a high-ranking executive at U.S. Soccer, though Stewart was most directly responsible for the hire. I thought that was interesting because it's like. It, as long as Burhalter's coach, that was always going to be out there. It was always uh, of an easy way to critique the hire. He always brother was part of the hiring process, the nepotism, all of that. But now we, it's it's when this comes to light, uh, it's like we're going back in time and 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 really thinking about the actual hiring process. What what was known? What, what were things? 
like slid under the did they slide things under the carpet were they trying well to i mean Greg? Like, jay what, presumably what knew about this yeah right yeah like like i would imagine like greg in his statement berhalter said that you know he talked with his family about it and rosalind talked with her family about the incident shortly after it happened jay is is greg's older brother <laughs> uh, a part of his family so you know did jay know about this and disclose it to us soccer did he know about it and not talk about it to us soccer uh i mean i would assume that us soccer did not know and that's why they launched an investigation when ernie stewart was told about the incident by danielle reyna so that is something that raises an eyebrow for me um i mean i think felipe maybe you're going down the path of like this whole thing is pretty insular yeah and and we're talking primarily about two families here and uh i think some of that is nothing to do with us soccer and sort of coincidental they hired a head coach who was a former player for the national team that's something that is normal around the world gareth southgate didier deschamps uh, i'm missing many <laughs> over time and over over many years over and over many countries but el those piojo, are just el piojo piojo those are just i'm gonna two bring examples. him up by the way that's why i brought him up but go ahead those are just two examples right off the top of my head at this world cup yeah and so that's a normal thing um the son of one of his former national team teammates happens to be a very talented soccer player who was on the World Cup team. And then everything kind of unravels from there. Yeah. I don't think, you know, should should Greg Berhalter not have called up Gio Reyna to the World Cup because he knows Claudio? Like, no. Like, Claudio shouldn't have behaved how he behaved after Gio wasn't playing. Like, and, and, and that's unfortunate. I don't put that on the Federation. Like but it is want, like too close for comfort, right? It's like if, if it, it if is, Greg but what are you going to do about isn't it? Isn't a coach, yeah. No, what I are you going to do it's, about it? Like, like you're going to not hire Burhalter in 2018 because at that point, Giorena, who's in the NYCFC academy, might break through to the men's national team while Burhalter is head coach. Like, yeah. no, that's not going to be a disqualifying factor. Like, there might be other ones, and I'm sure many people listening to this will be screaming about how. He shouldn't have been hired in the first place, but I'm guessing those people wouldn't be saying he shouldn't have been hired because he knew Gio Reyna from when Gio Reyna was a little boy. Right. Like, like no. Um, so, so that part of it, I don't put on the Federation. I mean, if you want to say the Jay Burhalter, Greg Burhalter connection at the time should have been disqualifying or Jay Burhalter should have been, I can't remember. I know he wasn't like really involved in the process of hiring a head coach, according to the Federation. I believe he was, there was like a wall put up between him and that process. He was, he was a commercial side employee. I believe yeah. he was COO at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so according to them, he didn't have anything to do with it. Um, I actually believe that like Berhalter, Greg Berhalter was one of the hottest American coaches in MLS at that time. Uh, it wasn't like, the U.S. was in position to go hire Pep Guardiola or Jose Mourinho. They had just missed a World Cup. They were coming off of a weird year with Dave Sarikin at the helm, sort of this purgatory that they were in. And it was an extremely young team, and the prospects didn't look amazing for 2022. Yeah, like, not, we didn't know. We weren't – like, no one knew what it wasn't, team really was. It wasn't was a plum to. job. No. You know? No. I mean, and Tata so, wanted it. Tata wanted it. Tata wanted it, yeah. And, and you can argue that they should have given it to Tata, right? But I mean, then, if we're talking about hot MLS coaches at, at the time, it was Burhalter and Tata Martino without a yeah, doubt. Yeah. And, uh, well, Jesse Marsh, I think had gone over to Europe at that point, right, but right. yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, it was those guys and, and I don't know, I didn't have a problem with the hire at the time. I don't have a problem with the hire now. Um, but I do think that 
things have probably run their course and it'd be best for all to move on. Okay. Well, excellent segue because I do want to ask you one while I have you on the show is like, you know, what happens next? Like, it's not so much that, uh, obviously his, his contract is up. Gruber Halter's contract is up right now. There's an interim coach in Anthony Hudson and Colorado it, Rapids legend for former Colorado Rapids legend who we all remember just going off. That was his most notable moment. It really was. Coach. What was that? 2018, 2018, 2019, I think 19, I want I to say 2019. 2019. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, yelling at reporters about how he doesn't get any help from Colorado ownership, no way to compete against teams like Atlanta Col- United. Colorado was like a top eight team in the league after that point, by the way, yeah, for the rest yeah. of the season. Uh, but, uh, you know, who who leads this team? And not it's, it's not like, oh, who's going to coach this team in 2026? Because it, it's strange to say, but because there's no World Cup qualifying, you, you, you know, you have laid this out in, in several stories already and, and on your podcast. It's almost like it feels so far away in a weird way because we don't know what's going to happen in between other than the obvious regional championships like Nations League and CONCACAF uh, Gold Cup. But who, who should be the team? Or I'm sorry, who should be the head coach? And Yes, the the big names that are floated out there, the rumors, rumors Jose Mourinho, Pep Guardiola, Zinedine Zidane, and then you mentioned Jesse Marsh. I think he's always going to be a candidate. Uh, I bring up Jim Curtin, Hugo Perez. Like what, Sam? What happens next? Like who is going to be the the next coach of the, the U.S. Like, team? I don't know. That's a million dollar question. Um, maybe more than a million dollar question. I'll lay out some of the factors at play. You mentioned the schedule stuff already. This isn't like an extremely attractive job in the near term. It's probably going to be kind of boring for the next at least year and a half. Now, if you get into the 2024 Copa America, that makes this a much more attractive proposition. But that's no sure thing. You know, like this has been like a pet peeve of mine. But for a while there, it felt like everyone was like, oh, we're in the Copa America in 2020." It's like, no, <laughs> they're not. There's no, there's no host nation yet. Yeah. Like that's not done. Like yeah. it might not happen. And if it doesn't, you're looking at nations league and gold cup and for the U 23 team Olympics over the next couple of years. And then, you know, once 2025 hits, well, all of a sudden you're ramping up to 2026 and this job becomes, all right, that's something I could want. Could they work out something with a high profile club coach where it's like a job share type of situation? Would they be willing to do that? My gut says no, that U.S. soccer will want a full-time head coach. Um, but at the same time, if you if you don't get into Copa America, I think it would be fine to sort of just have like a caretaker-esque manager mm-hmm. for the next year or two and just kind of carry it forward and then try and go make a big splash hire in 2024, maybe the Is, second half of that year. So do you think Ray... Uh... Anthony Hudson. Sorry, I almost said Ray Hudson. Anthony Hudson is... <laughs> magisterial. Is, <laughs> this is not a magisterial situation. Let me read his 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 quote from yesterday, by the way. Anthony Hudson in yeah. the U.S. Men's National Team availability when asked about being in this position as interim head coach, he said, quote, it comes in a very strange... It comes in very strange circumstances, difficult circumstances. It's a shame for everyone, everyone who was involved. involved. Players, staff, Greg, everyone is affected by it. It's not a nice situation. Is is he to your point? If if that's one way to go to just have a caretaker manager, which by the way it worked out really well for Argentina. Lionel Scaloni was a caretaker manager after Sampaoli <laughs> crashed out. Maybe the, the U.S. World should Cup hire Scaloni. 
What do you well, think? Hey, he he's he has he, his continuation with Argentina is up in the air, so maybe that's the big time hire. Uh, but can we say that Anthony Hudson is is essentially trying out for this like a, a more prominent interim role with these two games coming up? Um, I mean, perhaps like he's he's got an opportunity, right? I don't know that U.S. soccer is necessarily thinking of him in that way. Uh, but if he comes out in this camp and does a really good job, then maybe he can change how they think. Like he has, he has an opportunity, and I know he's going to do everything that he can to to make the best of it. Anthony Hudson's got an interesting story. He's been a national team head coach before with New Zealand. Um, right. That was prior to to when he came to Colorado. He had a really hard time in Colorado, um, but you know, I think he's sort of rehabbed himself a little bit with the U.S. He obviously had that bad moment <laughs> that you referenced in Atlanta. Um, I learned a little bit more about him at the world's cup and like, this is a guy that like volunteers at prisons, wow. like has like, like is doing all kinds of things for like animal shelters, loves like, his dogs, loves, loves his dogs, dogs. Anthony yeah. Hudson. Yeah. Um, so he's kind of got an interesting story. He was born in Seattle. His dad was an in England international. Um, so, you know, kind of a globe trotting soccer life. Uh, and we'll see, you know, I don't, I don't know that he has much of a future with the national team. Maybe he could be an assistant for a full-time manager if they opt to go for somebody from abroad. But I, I don't think, you know, he's necessarily long for this post, but if they do go a route where it's all right, caretaker for a while, and there, there shouldn't be any rush Felipe to make yeah. a hire. Um, then we could see him around maybe, maybe for nation's league or even gold cup or nation's league final four in the summer. And one other thing here, these big name coaches, they cost big money. A lot of money. And U.S. soccer isn't always the, the most flush with cash. Hmm. Um, you know, they pay really well with the players and they have good facilities and they take care of them well, but they're also paying out millions in lawsuits right now. <laughs> and, and that's something to keep in mind. So if they can, you know, if they're going to spend $8 million a year on a coach or something like that, then if they can save $8 million by making that a two-year contract instead of a three-year contract, then maybe that's something that they wouldn't be opposed to. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. 
Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It's interesting because I think I agree with you that this, I always felt maybe the cycle for Greg Berhalter, if this had never happened, the controversy uh, with the Reynas, I still think that after this World Cup, it probably would have been better to to move on. But I still placed him as you know the top candidate to continue at least for a couple more years before the 2026 World Cup. But sometimes when, when drama happens, federations are like, okay, we need to just wash our hands of this. We need to get as far away from, from this as possible. And I bring up what happened in Mexico in 2015 just because it really changed the trajectory <laughs> of the national team. Of course, you're referring to the time Piojo slapped a guy at the Philadelphia airport. Yes, yeah. he punched a reporter in 2015. Miguel <laughs> Was it a punch Piojo or a slap? I always thought it, it was a slap. I mean, it's it's reported as a punch. There's video. We can dis, we can dissect it on another show. Uh, that but sounds like a good story. Maybe we should. In, honestly, yeah, because, especially because he's campaigning so hard to be back in the picture. But, he's literally been campaigning for that job since the moment that slap landed. <laughs> But what if Mexico do? And and I know this because in sp- you know speaking to sources throughout the last few years from 2019 up until now, over the years, one reason why Tata Martino was hired was because it, this is what it was I was told it was because of his professionalism in front of cameras. He was not he was always going to steer away from this sort of controversy, this these sort of scandals. Uh, now, obviously, Tata Martino just you know he he fell off a cliff with Mexico. Uh, but that was why they went in that direction. They understood that this is a guy that's not going to get us in trouble, uh, like like Miguel Herrera, which he can't keep his mouth shut, um, and he's always in the he- he's always a headline. But I, it'll be interesting to see. That's why when Jose Mourinho was like brought up as a potential U.S. national team candidate, it's like, do you really want that? Do you want that smoke? Because there's a lot of smoke there. Um, you ask Real Madrid fans, ask any as Chelsea, Inter Milan, anywhere you've been, uh, anywhere he has been, it's going to be. Uh, uh, a lot of drama. Well, I so, have one question for you regarding Mourinho. Go ahead. We know he got the tattoo of the UEFA Conference League trophy. <laughs> would would he get a tattoo of like a Gold Cup or a Concacaf Nations League trophy if if the, he won that with the US? What I wouldn't think? put it past him. I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> Honestly, this guy is is different. He's different. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about the January camp uh, before we close out here. Uh, like I said before, they, today is Wednesday. They will face Serbia tonight uh, in Los Angeles. Both games are at the home of the LA Galaxy, Columbia on Saturday. Uh, let me read another quote from Anthony Hudson when he was asked about like how this U.S. men's national team roster was constructed. You've talked about this on Allocation Disorder. We, You, you know plenty about January camp, the history there. It's not... This is not when the European players are, are, are brought in, but this is how Anthony Hudson described the, the, the selection process. He said, quote, young high potentials, Olympic age players, dual national, dual nationals. And then he said that there were other dual nationals that he, they could not bring in because they're with their clubs. And then guys with World Cup experience. Then he followed that up by saying, identifying positions where they can add depth. Uh, you've discussed that on allocation disorder. You know who who is the standout player here that can actually be part of the next World Cup team? Where and where? What, in your opinion, Sam, are the key positions where this team really needs depth? Well, I think a number of players on this team could emerge as potential standouts. I mean, we don't know how development is going to go for some of these 
20 year olds who are on this team in terms of guys that are that are headliners for me that could step into the, the full team like tomorrow mm-hmm. uh brandon vasquez is number one like striker we saw how that went at the world cup josh Sargent did a fine job i would say in Qatar. But he's yeah. he's not the most clinical guy. He's you know he's a good athlete. He works really hard, uh, but he's like one of those strikers that it's like he does all of the little things really well. But like when you need him to be at his best, sometimes he he doesn't have the highest ceiling in the box. Um, Vasquez, I'm not saying he's dissimilar to that, but it's a different profile than Sargent, and and he's a guy that was really good last year for FC Cincinnati. Um, so he would be number one for me. Um, in terms of other guys, you know, John Tolkien left back behind Anthony Robinson is, is certainly a position of need. So I think that, that he could have a little bit of a, uh, of a chance to emerge for sure. Um, Aiden Morris is somebody that I've got an eye on. I think he's very talented. We saw him kind of star at MLS cup in 2020. Yeah. And then he did his ACL. Right. You know who he reminds me of? Is it Richie Williams? Is he the, the former the former US midfielder? Yeah. Like Who's from like England Revolution assistant coach? Yes. Guy. Yeah. Yeah. Like I remember when he was playing, like I could not stand him because Aiden I Morris just, is a lot bigger than Richie Williams. I mean, because Richie Williams is like not big at all. But like that <laughs> profile, like it's like the the gnawing at your heels type of number six. Um right. much so that's, different from that's another Tyler position Adams's. of need though. Is yeah. is kind of who's behind Adams at the number six? Exactly. You know, Kellen Acosta has been that guy, but he's up there in age, and I don't think anyone is super duper comfortable with him in a starting role there. Um, so he's one, and then you know, I don't know how much of a chance this guy has, but he's a player I've liked for a while, and another one who was kind of breaking through a bit with the national team, and then suffered a, a bad ACL injury. But Eric Williamson um, yeah. with Portland Timbers, I think he could be. You know, he could challenge like Luca De La Torre, for instance, as a guy that could play one of those number eight roles. Of course, I'm, I'm talking about this like like we're, we're still using the 4-3-3 that Burhalter did. <laughs> that, of course, could be very different. Um, and then a couple other guys. I mean, I think everyone's interested in, in Alan Senora and uh, Alejandro Zendejas. Um, yeah. So I'm curious to see what they do. Zendejas will only be in camp for the Serbia game because he's playing with Club America and he's got to go back to Mexico to to fulfill his club duties after after Wednesday night. And Anthony Hudson brought that up. He said he he really threw a lot of flowers at Club America for how great they were in, in allowing I mean, Zendaya, which is very interesting because Club America, let me tell you, like they at the highest levels of that club, we're talking like Teve Azteca owners and things like that, they're very connected to the national team. And they are very pro-Mexico club. And Zendejas, before the World Cup, when all the controversy started, and he was, you know, he was, he apparently reportedly demanded to be part of the squad. And Tata was like, get out of here with that. The pr- Federation president, John DeLuisa, was like, this is a player that we want to keep. Like, we are being open and public about this, that this is a guy we want to play. Yeah, they wanted to keep him so bad. They played him when they weren't allowed to. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so interesting that Club America gave him that 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 access to come and play I, for one game. I don't game. know, Felipe, I have a question for you. Maybe Club America sees these transfer fees for U.S. Uh, national team without players. Without a doubt. And, without and a doubt. And is like, well, maybe this wouldn't be a terrible thing for us if he breaks through with the Americans. 
Yeah, you know, and he's at like he's hitting his peak. I mean, he's he's in excellent form. Twenty four, uh, good age. Yeah, yeah like a, a a good player, a different type of player, like an inverted winger type of lefty that can come inside, is fearless from outside the box, can really strike the ball, very creative. Uh, and obviously, yes, we know enough about him that he was a youth national team player with the U.S. Uh, friends with Christian Pulisic because they played together. All of that. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how how he plays in this friendly, which not a lot of stakes involved, but for him, plenty to play for. Alan Sonora, who you mentioned, I agree. Like last year, or actually, yeah, before the World Cup, uh, I watched three games successively for Independiente and read plenty about him. And so let me describe him. First of all, he's he's another lefty. Does not impress you physically at all. Uh, But he, to me, is an all-around midfielder. He can play. You mentioned the eight position as being somewhat open. Uh, He can play as an eight because to me, he's like a all-purpose number 10. He wants to be on the ball, but he's box-to-box too. And not that he's tackling guys, but he does not stop running. For Independiente, he was all over the pitch, um, very technical, very silky at times, and simple. Just a simple, smart player that can get out of trouble easily, and it, it, the stamina is, is really impressive. I, I like him because in in Argentina, he's very highly regarded. He's not like a player that they don't know about. He's a player that like excelled for one of the top clubs in the country and was given the ten shirt at Independiente, which is a big, big deal. So. This is a player that I, I think will uh, will stand out if he has uh, the confidence in this type of game. Obviously, he's never played at this level, uh, but the ability is there. So very interested to see that as well. Um, Serbia, uh, not to get too deep into their uh, roster. This is a highly, heavily domestic-based roster. There are three MLS players, uh, and, and obviously the standout is LA Galaxy striker, Dejan Jovovich. Georgi Petrovic was like the best goalkeeper in the league I know, after I know. Matt Turner I, left. Yeah. I wanted to bring that up, and, and you know plenty about him. Petrovic, I mean, this dude can play. This is a very good goalkeeper. Uh, and you know, you talk about exposure uh, to, to possible scouts, international transfers. This is a big deal for him, too. Like, what, what do we know about Petrovic? Um, not a ton, honestly, but you know, he he was statistically, I think, the best goalkeeper in MLS um, yeah. from the moment he entered the lineup last year. He got in pretty early uh, because Turner left pretty early, and, and he was injured prior to leaving. <laughs> um, Petrovic wasn't there for the entire time, but he did really, really well with New England, and I think it's a, a mark of his performance that the Revs didn't miss Matt Turner at all after he. Yeah, left. that's true. And, we all and, thought they would too. Yeah, because he was the best, him and Andre Blake, right? If you take Andre Blake off the union, they're probably going to miss him, yeah. right? But you take Matt Turner off the revs, they didn't skip a beat in, in net. They dropped down from last from 21 to 22, but it wasn't because of that. Um, so, so he's excellent. He's young. He's a guy that New England locked up to a longer-term contract, and I think one day will probably sell for a pretty significant profit. Uh, so 22, so, 23. I mean, this is like peak age. This is yeah. excellent age for him right now. I mean, for a goalkeeper, that's he's a baby. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, he's a guy that if he continues playing like he did last year, I wouldn't expect to be in MLS too much longer. Um, Jovalich, uh, he's a guy that I really like. Felipe. Yeah, man. He and plays. I think Greg Vanny needs to figure out a way to get him and Chicharito on the field together. Uh, because every time he comes in, I felt like last year, you know, I, I don't have his stats in front of me. 
but it felt like every time I watched the galaxy last year, he would come on in the 75th minute and like score within three minutes of getting like on the field. A banger too. Yeah. Like, like, like every cool. time. Yeah. And, and so he's a guy that he was signed under a U 22 contract. I think he's one of the success stories for that initiative. Um, so far in MLS, I'm curious to see if he's able to make a move back to Europe. I believe he was signed from, from Frankfurt. I want to say, uh, yeah, I tracked Frankfurt, uh, in, in 2021. So he's coming off a real strong year. And then, uh, Ranko Veselnovic as well. Center back for the white caps is the other. Oh, thank God you said that. I, I was going to struggle with that. <laughs> <laughs> I should have made you do it. Oh show. God. Thank you. Thank you. I like, <laughs> I love Ranko as a first thing. Like that is a hardcore name. Love it. <laughs> it Ranko. Oof. That is like, that's the that, that perfect name for, for, a Serbian defender. And what do we know about Serbia? I, I I saw them at the World Cup. I saw them play in the group stage against Brazil. Obviously, that was on paper a team that everyone was so excited about, just stacked on paper. A lot of great players for Serbia. And traditionally, uh, you know, Serbia is a team that just produces uh, really technical players. I think what we'll see against the US, obviously, yes, it's a domestic based team. But Serbia, very young team as well. A young team, yeah. Uh, the, the coach is, is very experienced. But what do we? How does Serbia play? This, this is what I saw at the World Cup and what we've seen in Europe. I mean, they're very, very technical, but they're and they're very patient too. This is a patient culture with the ball, and that is, I think is going to be a contrast from what we'll see from the U.S., which should be a lot faster, should be yeah. a lot more direct, caffeinated. Yeah, um, definitely. Definitely. Serbia is like very calculated. They want the ball. You're going to see a lot of like highly aesthetic football players like when they are on the ball. And then when they get into the final third, uh, that's where they can do some damage. They, they're very good combining because they have such a, a high level of technical ability, but yeah. they're going to want to be in control. And I think it'll be an interesting test um, yeah. Yeah, no, for, I think so for the too. US. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and claim to know anything about these players on Serbia. No. I saw them at the World Cup as well against Switzerland. Um, and that game was Oof. Uh, an attacking slugfest for 50 minutes. But Serbia, you know, to your point, in the final third, were clinical at times. They can do they it, yeah. Moving the ball really well. Dusan Tadic, Mitrovic, Vlahovic, Milinkovic, Savic. A lot of itches. And they were scratching. <laughs> they were scratching. <laughs> oh, God. Um, boom. But what they were not, not doing was defending. They were, yeah. they were, they were shambolic, Felipe, um, in the back. Uh, really <laughs> disorganized and, and quite sloppy against Switzerland in that game. Um, but I don't know. It's kind of interesting. No one really thinks of Serbia. I think, or most American fans don't think of Serbia in the way that you just described them as these aesthetically pleasing players. But Red Star Belgrade is like, like people talk about the IX Academy. People yeah. should talk about Red Star Belgrade. And, I mean, old Yugoslavia. Yeah. Like in the same sorts of ways. Those clubs produce, they're factories for talent. Um, they remember the Yugoslavian teams from the past uh, were referred to as the European Brazilians. That's like how good those players were. Uh, and, and yes, the, you know, the, the Serbs, I think, are a little bit more stoic and defensive in nature. Uh, not defensive to your point, like where they're just they're like a very they're good hard. defensive team. But yeah, yeah, this is a team that like yeah. we want to brawl with you. But yes, they they do control possession. They want the ball. They, they feel comfortable on the ball. Uh, and it'll be interesting just because of the the two cultures clashing, you know, and two teams that let's be honest, we're going to talk about Columbia here in a second, but this is like, these are big time trials for these players. Uh, I, I, again, we don't know much about Serbia, but I'm sure these, these players are trying to break in. 
They're looking at the Euros. No, they're Felipe, looking at I'm the Serbian looking at the team. Roster. They're combined four caps for Look the entire that. Serbia roster. Yeah. So yeah. everyone's coming here to make really a first impression. Right. And actually, the only guys that have caps are the MLS guys. Look at that. Yo, hey. to Vesanovic and, and Petrovic with one each. Um, Go so MLS. they're all going to come here and they're going to try and put their stamp on it and try and get their debut and try and not just get their debut, but make their debut in a way that, that means they have more caps down the line. So yeah, it's a big moment for, for these guys, just like it is for the U.S. players. Agree. And so Saturday they take on my boys from Colombia, which, uh, yeah, this is also heavily domestic based, but not, I mean, there are some stand up players, man, a lot of MLS six MLS players, uh, but there are some, there's, there's one European, uh, two European based players, uh, and Frank Faber, Faber, who's a left back who has been at Boca juniors for a uh, considerable amount of time, uh, typically starts for Boca juniors. Uh, and then young players and Colombia is interesting too. These, these are players that are going to be very hungry. This is the team that did not qualify for the 2022 world cup. They are in the midst of figuring out who is this next generation of players and the nationals going, going to look like post James Rodriguez and that crew. They hired, uh, Nestor Lorenzo, who is, has no international head coaching experience. He was the top assistant for Nestor Peckerman during the 2014 and 2018 World Cup cycles for Colombia. So he knows the culture, he knows the players, he knows the process that worked, but a lot to prove, a lot to prove for Nestor Lorenzo. And I'll just go over some of the highlights here. Um, the goalkeepers, I think, are going to be uh, unknown to the American public, but Alvaro Montero plays for, for me, United is a big dude. Big guy with a lot of potential. Uh, guys to take from from MLS: Andres Reyes from the Red Bulls, formerly of Inter Miami. Uh, Juan David Mosquera from Portland, uh, from the Portland Timbers. Our other MLS guys are Cucho uh, Hernandez, Chris, uh, Cucho Hernandez, uh, Chicho Arango from LAFC, Dylan Bordero from the Revolution, and Santiago Moreno from the Portland Timbers. So, like the attack for Colombia is like pretty impressive. If you mm -hmm. if we if we're just looking at like Cucho Hernandez from, is is really really good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I'll be interested to see how Lorenzo lines up. Does he go with Chicho Arango, who is you know sort of that traditional sti striker? Do you do you give Cucho Hernandez the opportunity that he's been Raving with the national team to start and to be sort of that focal point in the attack. And then Santiago Moreno, who you and I talk about a lot for the Portland Timbers. I knew him back when he was a teenager playing for America de Cali, the team that yeah. I support. Cool. This is a good player. This is a good player who I think has gotten very good. He's gotten better in MLS because he's been forced to be a little bit more of uh, an all-way player, a box-to-box -box player. So interesting uh, dynamic here with Colombia. What what are your thoughts? Who I remember listening to your allocation where you said that they would be like a slight test. I was slighted <laughs> to say the least. I didn't even <laughs> Felipe pointed this out to me. This is like the third time he said it to me now, and I didn't even remember saying it. It hurt. It hurt. Um, yeah, I mean, what are my thoughts? This is going to be not just a slight test, but a big test for the U.S. backline defending some of these players. Uh, yeah. You know, looking at looking at these defenders for the U.S. I don't know. Probably Long and Zimmerman, I would guess, will start at center back. So obviously they're experienced both on the World Cup team. Zimmerman played every minute or every second at the World Cup. Um, so actually, that's not true. He didn't start against Iran. But, um, right. <clears throat> you know, did well in Qatar and, and has played against big guys. Uh, but Kucho Hernandez gives problems to everybody in MLS, yeah. these two included. Uh, Arango gives problems to everybody 
in MLS, these two included. It doesn't miss. It doesn't miss no. in front and, of and, and like you just said, you know, these guys, Moreno, for instance, they're a headache to deal with uh, for any defender. And, and it's a young, inexperienced backline outside of Zimmerman and Long. So I think the U.S. will have some serious questions to answer there. I think Colombia will cause some problems going forward. And yeah, I think that's that's the main thing that I'm looking at. I don't know the Colombian defenders as well. If Andres Reyes is starting at center back, then I think there will be some Target opportunities. Him. Target him, yeah. You know, like he's got a fabulous athletic profile and he can do some really good things, but he's he's mistake prone as well. So, you know, if you have Vasquez up there against him or, or a different striker, like I think you can pull him around and, and bring him out of position and exploit some spaces. So, yeah. you know, I think I think this has the potential to be kind of a fun game. Maybe back. I agree. Forth, I, I agree. I agree because in the back line for Columbia is also just completely makeshift. Like these are new guys other than Frank Faber, who has been sort of like played, the US. Yeah. You know, Frank Faber has played at, at, at the highest levels in Argentina, has played for World Cup qualifiers, uh, has been part of the Columbia About program for caps, a long time. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, Andres Ginas, he's a sort of an up and coming central defender for Millonarios. Uh, I think he's going to play, like to your point. Andres Reyes, like there's a lot to like there, but can be targeted. Just for, for the listeners, if you want to see a silky player for Colombia, Daniel Ruiz, lefty from Millonarios, this is another guy that is on a lot of European scouts' radars. Uh, I, would, I wouldn't say com- like linked to MLS, but this is the type of player that could come to MLS, play well, and move on. Uh, and then we've mentioned the players up front. I'll mention one more guy, Diego Valoyes, plays for Talleres in Argentina, heavily linked to MLS in my circles when I, every time he's brought up also a tricky silky dribbler. So like that's going to be interesting because Nestor Lorenzo for Colombia wants these guys to play. If you, you saw the team against Mexico that beat Mexico before the world cup, they were very adventurous going forward. He likes his fullbacks to get up, get high up the field. So to your point, Sam, I think that could be a fun game. Uh, we won't get into predictions because it's just too heavy to my heart. Anytime Colombia and the U.S. plays, <laughs> I stress out. It can be the most meaningless even, friendly. Even just even a January camp friendly. Oh my God. Be it stressed. could be the most meaningless friendly between the U.S. and Colombia. And my heart is just like divided. I'm stressing. Like I know my friends are just waiting with their hands, their phones in their hands to text me, be like, ha ha, we beat you. <laughs> so that that's that's what I'm expecting. On um, either side, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's I a lose-lose for you, but also a win-win. It's the rare win-win, lose-lose. True. True. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's a difficult moment for me when Colombia and the U.S. play. Plus, like, I have major PTSD from USA 94. I can't just... Still, that is that 30 was, years yeah. on. Oh, tragic. Tragic. Never forget. Uh, Sam, always a pleasure, man. Thanks for coming on. Uh, I'll see you when I see you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you will. <laughs> <laughs> Felipe, thanks for having me, man. It's It was fun. Um, you know, I'm a big Copa guy, as you know. So it's cool to be a part of the show. Thanks, Sam.